0: 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise and the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson. This week we're talking about recent events in the United States and developments in the fascist trajectory in the coming year, the final bit of Donald Trump's presidency. One of the things that happened this week was that we had some evidence from the fascist organization, The Base. Uh, Their camp had been raided recently by the FBI and Some of the results of that investigation have been made public. The base, of course, was a fascist paramilitary organization that has been largely dismantled by the uh, actions of the United States federal government this year, primarily operating in the Great Lakes region and especially in Michigan. At the raid of the base camp of the base, uh, the FBI found Nazi memorabilia, Nazi propaganda, and a bunch of military equipment, uh, especially surveillance equipment, binoculars, things like that. Now, the lesson here, of course, is that the base itself was stopped. They've been largely dismantled. A lot of their leaders are in jail or being investigated or being held for trial or things like that. Um, But they flew a little close to the sun. You know, their plans were a little bit too obvious. They were a little bit too transparent about things. But some people will be slipping through the cracks in the coming years, um, unfortunately especially as fascist organization continues to develop and as fascist groups continue to grow. We're going to be seeing more and more of these kinds of organizations, and at some point, one of them is going to actually succeed. And on that note of right-wing and fascist paramilitary people actually succeeding in their plans for violence, we have, of course, the recent bombing on Christmas Day in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, This bombing was perpetrated, it seems currently, by a person named Anthony Warner, who rigged his RV to explode with him in it, making it a suicide bombing attempt. Uh, Anthony Warner was a former IT consultant and sort of surveillance company consultant. Um, He bombed an AT&T office uh, and other infrastructure in downtown Nashville. He was described by his neighbors and by people who knew him as something of a loner, you know, a guy who's really, really concerned with security. You know, he had a lot of dogs on the property. He had a large fence around much of his property, but he was described as a, you know, relatively conscientious and nice neighbor. They said that he was really kind with his dogs. Um, There's conflicting reports about, uh, you know, neighbors saying that they never saw anybody come in or you know, leave the property. But we also know that he had a girlfriend at least as recently as 2019. Uh, this woman uh tried to warn law enforcement about her then boyfriend's dangerous tendencies. Uh, told law enforcement officials that he was planning a bombing, that he was making bombs, that he was rigging his RV to be an explosive device, like like a weapon. Um, that he had a bunch of guns that you know weren't exactly legal. That he was trying to store them in places other than his own home for his own safety. Uh, So if that is an indication that the law enforcement is not actually there to prevent these kinds of things, um, but instead to generally uh, cover the ass of the government after it happens, um, yeah, that's kind of the evidence that you might need. So the question here is, why did he do what he did? His target, buildings and infrastructure, um, and the timing of the attack, 6.30 in the morning, and the fact that he broadcast before the attack for 15 minutes a warning telling people to get out of the way, that he was going to set up this bomb, that you know the area was going to be dangerous, suggests that he was not actually trying to kill people. Um, and he did, in fact, succeed in this. He did not kill anyone in this attack. Four people were injured. Well, he didn't kill anyone except himself, Um, Early on in the news cycles around this attack, uh, it was pretty clear that he had died, uh, considering that the government was not looking for anybody, um, but also said that one body had been found at the scene, uh, suggesting that they knew who perpetrated the bombing and that that person died in the explosion. So given all of this, that he attacked buildings, uh, that he was apparently trying not to kill anybody uh what exactly was the motive for his attack uh, he left no manifesto um he as far as we know currently was not you know an active user of some online forum that might give us an indication about exactly where he stood on these kinds of things but there are is sort of at the moment circumstantial reason to suspect that he might have been a particular kind of conspiracy theorist uh that's been really prominent on the right wing recently um conspiracy theorists who focus on uh 5g cell phone networks you know who think that you know maybe they're supposed to be mind controlling people or that they are making us sick you know they're there's even some 5G conspiracy theorists who think that uh, it's responsible for the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, this is not unlike, you know, a, a sort of like chemtrail conspiracy theory from the 1990s, you know, that, that airplanes are dropping chemicals uh, in, their, in their trails in the sky that, you know, that are polluting people's minds or whatever. There's also some indication that he was a then you know know that he believed in some of the weirder conspiracy theories um things like lizard people or you know some of the more virulently creepy conspiracies about like aliens running the world or something like that um however none of this has been substantiated and none of it has been like fully confirmed currently all that we have is the fact that anthony warner a older middle-aged white man bombed uh Uh, communications infrastructure in nashville tennessee on christmas day another piece of evidence that we have here is that the gop uh, which of course is in control of the tennessee state legislature of the tennessee governorship of the many of the national offices and representatives from tennessee including of course mitch mcconnell um, and also president donald trump have been incredibly silent about this potentially that could be argued that that was because nobody died in this bombing, but it's also probably because they suspect reasonably uh, that Warner was uh, a member of the right wing, uh, that he should be understood in this way. And I would argue that that is the case. My suspicion is that as we hear more and more about this guy and about what he believed and about what his plans were, what he was doing, um, that we'll learn that he was this kind of conspiracy theorist. However, that information will be coming out in the coming weeks. And if you don't get it somewhere else, you'll get it here. Another thing to talk about this week is actually something related to the following week. Um, Next week, January 6th, is the date that the United States Congress counts and officially registers the votes in the Electoral College, which is another one of the last hurdles before Inauguration Day uh, in the actual assumption of the presidency by president-elect Joe Biden and the end of Donald Trump's presidency. Of course, as a result, huge rallies have been prepared and planned by a number of fascist and right-wing organizations, uh, among them the Proud Boys, the Three Percenters, a bunch of other fascist organizations, which if you have been listening to this podcast should be unfortunately very familiar to you. Uh, These rallies are planned along the lines of the last series of rallies that these organizations held uh, several weeks ago, also in D.C., and if those rallies are any indication, we can expect a wave of violence, of partisan right-wing violence, against both the left and anti-fascists and also just civilians, people who just happened to get in their way. Uh, There were a series of stabbings and also some shootings on parallel rallies held in the West Coast, Uh, the shootings specifically were in Spokane. Now, one of the other things about these series of rallies is that Trump is personally endorsing them, Uh, tweeting about how, you know, he's going to see you out there on the 6th uh, and stuff like that. Uh, He's holding his own set of rallies. Um, Trump also famously, infamously appeared at the last Stop the Steal rallies uh, in D.C., Stop the Steal being uh, one of the sets of right wing rhetorics used around uh, the election. Because, of course, their claim still is that the election is being, quote, stolen from Donald Trump and his supporters, Uh, you know, that there was some sort of subterfuge or 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 falsehood about how the votes were being counted, despite the fact that all official actual recounts so far have indicated that Joe Biden won the elections, both in the states and nationally. And many of those recounts have actually indicated that all of the fraud took place by Trump supporters and have actually added To Joe Biden's overall vote count. The reason that I bring this up isn't even necessarily that these rallies themselves are going to be particularly important. Uh, As this podcast continues, as the rise of fascism continues, you're going to be seeing rally after rally after rally, speech after speech, group after group. They will come and they will go, and each individual one in particular will not be that important, especially at the beginning. The important thing is that they continue to organize, they continue to grow, they continue to be present in public space, they continue to be supported, tolerated, or even directly advocated by actual conservative powers such as Donald Trump or the rest of the Republican Party. And that process, this slow growth, is the kind of thing that actually produces real big and truly impactful fascist organizations, the kinds of things that the Proud Boys and other fascist groups in the United States today dream about being, the kinds of things that we saw in much of the world in the 1930s and 40s uh, and in South America and other places in the 1960s, 70s and 80s. This is something that could happen. And these small, smaller, or even, even like actually very tiny rallies that we've been seeing throughout the Last several years are part of that story. And unfortunately, it's something that we have to pay very close attention to and stop at every step of the way. Finally, to close out this episode, I have this week's See You in Hell, a segment that celebrates the deaths of fascists and members of the right wing from world history. Uh, this week, focusing on Ante Pavelic, uh, the founder of a Croatian fascist and nationalist organization called Ustase uh, in 1939. My sincerest apologies to uh, anybody who uh, can school me on my terrible pronunciation of these proper nouns. Uh, My sincerest apologies, really. Um, Pavelic was a politician in pre war Yugoslavia, uh, where he was known as a nationalist uh, and as a virulent lawyer. Uh, He fled to Italy uh, in order to found this fascist organization, Ustasia, uh, which uh, promoted a particular kind of Catholic nationalism and argued that Croatians were not Slavs but Germanic, uh, which is a pretty common ideological move for a lot of other Eastern European fascists too, uh, especially as the rise of Nazism in Germany seemed like, you know, the right uh, horse to bet on if you were trying to be a fascist gaining power in Europe in the late 30s and 40s. Interestingly, the Ustasi was pretty tolerant of Islam, uh, which is a really complicated subject dealing with the aftermath of uh, the Ottoman Empire's control in the region in the 19th century, concluding, of course, with World War I. In any case, uh, after he fled to Italy, uh, Pavelic was actually imprisoned by the Italian fascist government for his participation in the assassination of a Yugoslavian monarch. Um, But he was then released in order to lead the puppet government of the Croatian part of what the Germans were occupying, occupied Yugoslavia. Uh, So he was installed by the Germans as the leader of this puppet government, uh, where he participated in the Holocaust, uh, resulting in the death of tens of thousands of people in his territory, Um, Jewish people, Romani, uh, ethnic Serbians. Um, and a host of other people who were targeted by the Germans in other places, and also his and his fascist organization's particular enemies. Now, as an example of a puppet government leader, uh, Pavaric is a pretty standard textbook example. Um, He was able to take some initiative and to do some of his own work and do some of his own sort of ideological wrangling. This particular tolerance toward Islam is an example of that. But in general, you know, when it comes to actual statescraft, he was a puppet of the Nazi government. Um, He had troops who participated in Nazi wartime activities. He participated in the Holocaust, according to the German model. Uh, He was a good Nazi collaborator. Now, as the war was ending and it became clear that the allies, as in the British and the Americans and the Soviets, were going to hand control of this, you know, liberated Yugoslavia and the task of mopping up the fascists there to anti-fascist partisans, uh, Pavelic and several of the other leaders of the Ustase fled first to Austria and finally to Argentina, uh, where they secured sanctuary under the Peronist government, uh, Juan Perón's government. There he stayed in Argentina, uh, along with several other uh, Nazis from various countries um, and also several other members of his fascist organization this croatian organization until he was the subject of an attempted assassination in april 1957 by a former serbian partisan who had tracked him down now this particular assassination attempt failed on the day of um, as a result of the complications of the assassination though he could no longer stay in argentina and went to spain to seek medical assistance um, he then died of complications from this injury two years later, the 20th of December, 1959. Now, the lesson here, of course, is that unfortunately, sometimes people who participate in things like fascism, people who benefit directly from the rise of fascism and Nazism, they do get away um, until people who are actually trying to seek that justice that has been denied to them uh, try to take it. So, Ante Pavelic died this week in history, December 28th, 1959. We'll see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a weekly news analysis and update podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson. Uh, I'd like to wish you a happy Gregorian calendar new year and also ask you if you find this podcast helpful to your understanding of the world, uh, that you share it with friends, family, and comrades. I'd like to thank Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. And I will talk to you next week.